well, welcome, Gino. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you coming into my home. Thank you for having me. It's been really cool to connect with you, man. Been like, like, how does how do these connections happen? Yeah, you know, like I feel. Remember, I think I remember when we met. It was I was sitting down at Sunlight. <laughs> it's funny because Donnie, I met at Sunlight too. And we just did the podcast. It's a beautiful place to meet. I was sitting there having my smoothie and like. Your energy when you're walking up, it like felt like I had already known you. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I've seen this person before. And like, you go to Sun Life, and there's there's always people. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like influencers and stuff there too. So like, right. there's always people like, where do I know you from? What do I right. know? And I just like we like made eye contact, and like our energies were just like, I don't know, it was just like this this resonance yeah. is the best way I could describe it. And then you just walked over and like, hey, and he like shook my hand. Yeah, he's like, I know you, and I was like, I don't know you, and. And you sat down, we like jammed out for a little bit. Yeah. About the den, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Heck yeah. And um, yeah, we've probably seen each other just a few times since then, but I feel just so connected to you. It's crazy. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. When I walked in there, you had, you have like this incredible warmth and you can, you can feel the size of your heart like in the beginning. Oh, thanks, dude. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's, it's such a beautiful thing. It does. That little, that little triangle right there does that. In, in Sun Life? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of energy. It's interesting, like, when you talk about places. Yeah. How the frequency of places, like, the more, because we're energy, right? So, like, the more energy and positive energy, higher frequency mm-hmm. vibrations go into one place, it starts anchoring into the actual physical location. So, it's becoming this thing that you go there and you just feel good. Right. You can feel it. Yeah. And Khalil yeah. does a really good job of facilitating that. He is a facilitator of energy. It could be those big ass crystals he has. It's a little bit of everything. Yes, <laughs> the combination. Yeah. The really good ingredients with the food. And then it's almost like you know, like if you went to like if you wanted to be, you know, a hippie, you could go back in the day. Like you go to Boulder and you would get hippie, you mm-hmm. know. Or if you wanted to, you know, whatever. Like you can. There's these le- like there's these levels of expectation that gets created by places. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you were go to California, you would be chill. So yeah. then everyone's acting chill, you yeah. know? It's funny, I, mean, I tell people I'm from Southern California. Right. Like, they think I'm from, like, Minnesota or something. <laughs> it's my big beard. Like, you're not a SoCal dude. <laughs> Is that where you're from? Yeah, I'm from Southern California. No way. Yeah. My dad's from Wisconsin, so that's where I get the big, burly, like... Yes. I don't know. It's just all stereotypes. Never, ever met a bad person from Wisconsin. Really? <laughs> They're just good people. Yeah, they are. They're good people. Yeah. Like, we would, you know, that, for me, I'm from Chicago. And that was always our getaway, you know, is like the retreat. Wisconsin, like yeah. that's the nature to get out. Yeah, and, you know, Michigan's right there. I love Chicago, right. dude. When I, when I traveled in my van, one of my favorite cities was in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's got it's the beautiful. big city vibe. Like, it's yeah. massive. Like, it's the I mean, second biggest feeling city. I don't know about actual, like, logistics, but compared to New York, yes. it's, like, it's massive. Like, the skyline, you drive up on it, just right. like the feel of it. But the people are completely different. Yeah, it is. That's it's two like different so cultures. It's so much nicer. Yeah. It's like they're like, like the big city energy, but they're yeah. like, they're like, we'll help you out. Yeah. Like do anything for you. Yes. It's really cool. It is really cool. I like, I ha- it's like top of mind for me because I left, you mm-hmm. know? And so. How long have you been down here? I was there for 41 years, you know, born and raised. Went to school for five years in, in Ohio at Dayton. Um, came back. I thought like for sure I was going into like the coaching route. Dayton was like a really good program. 
for like, football? Yeah, like we wouldn't play the best competition, but we would win a national championship. You know, we went, mm. you know, we probably lost like four games in th- four years. You know, wow. and it was it was incredible. It was incredible to like be around that. And then in the state of Ohio, it was like a Texas thing. With you know, they're they're. It's people that don't like people from Ohio stay in Ohio. You know, it's got a really strong draw, like that. You know, heart of Texas. You, you ain't know? leaving, right? Yeah. And Gruden had just Gruden had just won a Super Bowl, and he was a flyer. So for a young impressionable kid, I'm like, I want to be, you know, I want to be like that, you know. And and plus, I think coming off of football, you just like my my whole life was that leading up to it. And so it just felt really natural to stay, to stay in it. Mm-hmm. And coaching is like, you know, was a dream. And it kind of caught my coaches by surprise because I wasn't like, you know, the perfect kid on the team. Like, first of all, I came from Chicago. So that made me a little weird because, you know, there's a lot of hometown boys in Ohio. And I was like the Italian from Chicago. So it was a little bit like I had to prove that I wasn't like Dion. You know what I mean? Like, they just thought I was glitz and glam. Like, come, mm-hmm. you know, into the Miami River Valley, mm-hmm. you know, in Ohio. And it ended up being the most magical place to me. And, like, the people there are incredible. My coaches were like my father's. It was a really, really good experience. It was incredible, mm-hmm. you know? I want to get more into this because I'm curious because my whole journey is, like, Obviously, football is a huge part of my story, mm-hmm. and I always wanted to be a coach, but then there was something that shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get in, I like to do a drop-in. So we do like a few breaths. Love that. Drop into the heart, which is the name of the podcast. And I like to bring the, the listener into the space with us, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool. It's, it's such a thing to contemplate when we have these technologies that actually interact with the quantum field. Mm. where we're recording this right now and nobody's able to even listen to it because it hasn't gone into the internet yet. Mm -hmm. But somehow people are listening to our voices in another time, in another place, and they're connecting with this moment in a different moment, which I think is really, really cool Mm. to comprehend. So we're going to take some breaths together, do a little guided visualization, drop into the heart, and then we'll uh, we'll get started. So first I want to start with gratitude for everybody that's listening to the podcast Really appreciate you um, taking time out of your day, out of your life to drop in with us. I'm really stoked for this conversation uh, and connecting with Gino in a deeper way. Um, So wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, if you're driving, you can just connect with the energy. Uh, If you can find some stillness and begin to close your eyes, bringing your awareness inward. Calling back all those parts of yourself that may be thinking about a business deal, a conversation, a to-do list, things you have going on later in the day, things you're doing right now, allowing all those aspects of you to come back home in this present moment. Begin connecting with your body. Just noticing how you feel in this moment. Bringing gratitude for these these forms we get to play with, play within. Feeling uh, 
the space that your body takes up in this moment and the space around you. Feeling the weight of your body against the chair, ground, beneath you. Feeling the gravity from the earth pulling you down, hugging you tight, bringing gratitude to the earth for the support, for the nourishment, this beautiful opportunity to live, to experience, to play, to have a conversation with amazing humans. Bringing your awareness into your breath. Feeling the rhythm, the inflow of air on the in-breath. The release on the out breath. Reminder of the rhythms of life. Bringing gratitude to the breath for being the one constant that is with us throughout our entire life. Through all the different iterations of self all the experiences, all the challenges, all the celebrations. The breath is with us through it all. Always waiting to call us back home to this moment. Again, breathing into the heart, to your chest. gratitude for this beautiful center of energy, this beautiful muscle that beats life force energy throughout our bodies, oxygen-rich blood, bringing gratitude to the intelligence, power that this energy can communicate with us through connecting us with love, compassion. Allowing our hearts to open, bringing words of wisdom and inspiration through us. May this conversation flow in beautiful and magical ways. May it have an impact on those who have been called to it. Let's take a few breaths together, starting with a deep breath into the nose. A long, slow exhale out the mouth. And deep breath in. And release. Dropping deeper into this moment. One more deep breath in. And let it go. Beautiful. Slowly blinking your eyes open. Getting on with whatever you're doing in this moment. Again, thanks for 
listening. I hope that that short little breathing and, and presence exercise uh, every time it just helps me feel so grounded and connected and present. Uh, so yeah, thanks for being here, Gina. Thank you. That's nice, isn't it? Like everything. Oh, shifted. brother Joe, thank you. That's amazing. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, I always like to do that. Beautiful. Bringing in the beautiful prayer. Thank you. So, you're playing football. You want to be a coach. Take us on this journey. Um, yeah, I, I knew. I knew I just desperately loved being around people and being in deep relationship. You know. I, I was always like, I liked having a girlfriend, you know, because that would be close, to, you know, closer to that person, you know, like I love like those the depth re- of connection. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to find in this world. Right. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how, even how beautiful I had it at the time when you have that team around you. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like family. It's not always perfect. And there's fights and there's, you know, battles for the top. And yeah. And, but like, yeah, it was just such an amazing group. And I, I had redshirted my sophomore year and, uh, I was a big hippie for the You've first been a hippie from the, from the beginning. Huh? Frustrated one. A frustrated hippie. Yeah. Okay. Because, you know, I was at, as somebody who was like, you know, raised by a, like a strong father and a good provider, you know, there was always the like you know, such beautiful, like, you know, armor and, you know, and, and that just like preparedness for anything that comes at you in life, you know? And so it was like a beautiful training until I was, then I was ready, you know, to explore more, you know, and that's what kind of that hippie lifestyle lets you do, you know? And so but, but then it was hippies are like more connected spiritually. Oh, like where did that energy come from? Is that just something that was your part of your essence? I, I think at the time it just felt so comfortable to me, you know. Like and going I think, to college and like being yeah, like, like my mom, you know, like you know, a, a hippie in the sense of like how she loves and how she's yeah. free and how she loves nature and how mm-hmm. she loves to cook and she didn't have to like you know smoke any weed or anything like that to be there. She was just naturally there, mm-hmm. and I was always around my mom. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we, you know, just bumming around in like a Jeep and, you know, like the best. I mean, I just feel so lucky to like have my mother. Mm. She's incredible. And what a blessing. Yeah. It's so. That was a different experience for my mom. <laughs> yeah. My biggest tell blessing. Me, tell me more. You want me to tell you more? A little bit. Yeah. Oh, I've talked a lot about my mom. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I've had, she's, she's one of my biggest teachers. And it's funny, as I've gone on this path of deeper healing and, and growth and, and healing of, of the wounded parts of myself, like my mom has been involved in a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And you know, I just want to preface this too, is like I've had some deep forgiveness. And so I don't blame my mom for any of this. I'm actually mm-hmm. super grateful because I can see how all of these experiences have shown me who I am. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, there was just some some experience I've talked about this podcast, like really, really intense, really dramatic. And then um, I was really just estranged from my parents when I left the NFL. Like I didn't talk to them. I just had a lot of uh, just unprocessed anger and resentment towards them. Mm-hmm. Um, not super connected with my dad either. And so I've been on this journey of like really desiring to like reconnect with that like love. Mm-hmm. And it's it's gone from early on, like, you know, that naturally start going on this path, you like want to save people. So I was like, I can't save my mom. <laughs> Why is that the first reaction? <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, so I want to, I wanted to, to, because I love her so much and I see her suffering. And it's like, you know, but then it's, it's all this projection of like my like, projection onto her. Mm-hmm. And what I started realizing is, is, is forgiveness is, has nothing to do with her. Mm-hmm. And wanting to change her, she should be something different. It's about fully letting go and loving her for where she's at. So it's been on this, this, this deep journey and I actually had a, a shamanic journey I did, uh, completely sober. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a drum journey. I got guided into this experience where I was, I was the intention was to meet a spirit animal. Mm-hmm. And I had this really profound experience where I met like a bunch of different spirit guides. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them that came through was my mom. Mm-hmm. And she came through after this really profound healing I had where I was at, able to let go of this, this traumatic experience that I had. Um, and unwound all of this this unconscious anger and resentment towards her and she came and it was like her highest self like her highest potential like her just she was young she was vibrant her energy was there it was like yeah. her soul yeah and i've always kind of known this but to like see i just sort of started bawling crying because yeah. i recognize like as much as i have this like in the 3D reality and like what I'm moving through, like there's this disconnection there. Mm-hmm. But I know that she as a soul energy, whatever you want to call it, came in to hold all the weight of this suffering and this pain mm. to show me and give me the experience to to grow through that so that I could, you know, do my work in the world and support more people. So it's like indirectly her purpose has been to carry all this. And so when I see that from that perspective, I have like so much compassion and I still get triggered a lot of times and stuff stuff happens, but to know like and have connected with that that part of herself through all of the the pain, the stuckness, the energy, the belief systems, the dogmatic like mm-hmm. the fear and the shame, all this stuff um, just feels really, really good. And I'm still very much on that journey. But you know, part of me is like that that envy of you know, my life would be not the same, but mm-hmm. what what is it like to have parents that are mm-hmm more connected open loving supportive mm-hmm. uh, so yeah thanks for letting me show yeah yeah and they they both spit us off to the same place <laughs> right i mean it's just it's just wild you know mm-hmm. and you like what a beautiful way to to look at it and to see her as the carrier you know of this of this thing to 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 guide you and to show you you know, I mean, I just think that's beautiful. It's even, even if like there's some weight on our shoulders, that'd be something to consider. Like, wow, I'm, I'm carrying this thing right now for somebody's greater good, you know? Yeah. I mean, you talk about too, like generational trauma, like we all are. And like the generations have carried this like pain, this suffering, this war, this division, this separation, this disconnection, this like real lot of pain that is in our genetics getting passed down. And so it's not even hers to hold, her parents to hold, it's not ours to hold. It's like, it's time that we, we have this opportunity now, which is really beautiful to like really let go of this energy that is 
disconnecting all of us. Completely. You know? Completely. So you went into coaching. So I get I get done. I had like, you know, I had a good an incredible what experience. Did you play? I put I went in as a fullback and uh absolutely loved it, you know. Just crushing people. Miami River Valley, like, you know, there we're we're like, you know, the the option, you know, Ohio offense. Like the so wing two type even thing? the fullback gets the ball ten yeah, times, you know. Nice. And so, you know, had the time of my life. It was a challenge. It's like I said, sophomore year, you know, red shirted, which is a weird time. Because mm-hmm. normally you do as a freshman. Mm-hmm. But now I'm a sophomore, so I kind of know like what's going on around campus and I'm free. Yeah. Because I was so focused my freshman year, you know, you like, you know, I could get. I was like, man, I can get on the field, you know. Why they decided to redshirt you? I I did because my like my men like my mentor like the you know the guy I looked up to David George he played fullback in front of me an incredible athlete from Centerville Ohio Um, he could have played you know at a big time school Dayton would always get these kids because they like in Chicago like if we want to go to school somewhere we could go to I go to you know, Appalachian State, just to, you know, I go to anywhere, we, but we leave Ohio to go play. But in these towns, like, you know, in these states like Texas and Ohio, these boys stay, especially then. Yeah. And so, like, you know, one, one kid, Brian Heisman, you know, incredible middle linebacker, but A.J. Hawk goes to Ohio State, and Brian's going, you know, goes to school at St. X down in Cincinnati. He's like, screw it. If, I'm not, if I can't go to Ohio State, I'll just go to Dayton and party and, you know, chill. Because, like, it wasn't as demanding, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so it was kind of a beautiful experience that I had. A little bit looser, having yeah. fun, playing with your boys. Right. Yeah. It was my life, but it was, you know, there was room. Mm-hmm. And I almost left after my junior year. I had a really kind of my first bout with like a depressionary kind of feeling. I was taking like a lot of, like, I was, I had like an ADD, an ADD designation, you know. And I, I put like air quotes around it just because I have an experience with it. What's NADD? Uh, ADD. ADD. Okay. ADD, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, I had the same thing in high school, moving right. through college. And it's a it's a very strong medicine. Like it, it will, if you have ADD. <laughs> what, are you, what medicine are you talking about? Adderall. Yeah. Like if you have yeah, if you have one of their medicines. What is it? it or what's the other one? Um, Melbutrin. Marafidil. <laughs> All these weird names, like what if what if we experience? I had an experience with it where I could feel how good it was and how my brain worked when I took it. Yeah. But I didn't like how it made me feel. And, you know, I probably had like my first couple of experiences with, you know, I uh with mushrooms at that stage. And like one of the things that plant medicine will do for you is it'll sniff out fake like so fast. Yeah. You know, so like I just wouldn't want to touch that stuff. But so but it hadn't, you know, it hadn't quite kicked in for me yet. And so in order to like stay on top of school, in order to, you know, because like I struggled with like the playbook. You know what I mean? Like I just wanted to like go run. Yeah. yeah it was like see ball go or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It was the type of person I was. It was really, that was the game to me. It was just like more physical mm-hmm. and release, you yeah. know. And it was the combination of needing my brain to function at a high level to keep up and then wanting to come down and not having the tools to do it. So it was, you know, kind of an Adderall come up and then, you know, um, 
like a cannabis to come down, mm -hmm. you know? And it made me so less resilient for the stress and for the challenges that would come. So when adversity hit me, I was just broken. There was no natural flow of strength, of faith, of energy, you know? And it was, you know, it was, it was a third party that was bringing me up or down. Yeah. And... You yeah. didn't have an awareness during the time of this. This is on reflection, right? This is on reflection. At yeah. the time, it was... It was like, what the fuck? I'm it was scared. Like, I had fumbled highs in San Francisco, yeah. and I didn't go to school for a month. Like, it wasn't the fumble, right? Like, there was yeah. a major thing going on in my life. And I, like... Yeah, dude, I went... I went to the... We had our last game, and I was getting ready to leave Dayton. We had our last game against Jacksonville, and we, we won the national championship at that level. And I had a couple of touchdowns, and it was, you know, and then we go to, like, Christmas on camp. It was, like, this magical, like, series of events that kept me there. And then I had this beautiful experience where I, you know, was like, okay, fine. I know what Ohio wants me to be. I know what this program needs. Like, I kind of morphed then. Shaved the head, put on the standard issue shorts, you know, and went, like, all, all in. And the, and the coach, it caught, I think the reason we went here was that I wasn't the obvious coach, you know, like when it came time to like vote for captains my last year, I was voted captain. And, and then I was like the MVP, but that, you, know, you were a big, you were a big time player. Like you were it, it, it was a beautiful, beautiful. And I got to play tailback, which is every fullback stream. Yeah. And I had this incredible experience, you know, and Coming out of that, I was on on cloud nine. I was on fire. You know, mm -hmm. it was a beautiful feeling. And that was like the first crossroads. Okay, now we're getting into it. <laughs> Tell me about that. Yeah, I keep going. I want to know. I, I just keep in. talking. <laughs> what happened? I'm on the edge of my seat. So everything's working out well. So this is... Your senior year. Yeah. Crush it, MVP, yeah. national champion. Yeah. Things are going well. Right. Then what? Um, so Gruden had just won the national championship, and, you know, it was impactful because it was this kid who went to Dayton, and, he, you know, he came to visit our school, and I, like, took, like, one look at him. I'm like, I, this is what I want to do. You know, it was so inspiring. Yeah. And he had an amazing, amazing energy, right, coming yeah. off of, like, the accomplishments in life that he had at that young age. and. It was very impactful. This is Gruden when this he won the Super Bowl with the Raiders. Is that the? Was that it? With with the Bucks. The Bucks with the Bucks. When he That's left right. the Raiders and yeah. went to the Bucks. Yeah, yeah. So 2002 or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So I like remember I went and told so my like, coach. I want to do that. Yeah, I went and told my coach. He's you didn't want to be a coach before then. No, I did. I didn't. But that was like this. It was just purpose. like one of those. Because until you're done playing, like the last year, you're like, okay, now you're confronted with like, what's next? What, what, what do I really do now? Like, yeah. I could play football forever, but then right. quickly it's like, oh shit, I can't. Right. But I can be a part of the game still. Right. I went into my last year kind of knowing that through the season. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, having that like opportunity to be a leader and be, you know, was, was like my first taste at like success. And it felt so good, you know? And I remember going to my head coach. I was like, yeah, I want to I wanna be a coach. And my dad had done really well in construction in Chicago. And the coach knew it because he would drive, like, a nice car to practice and be there on, like, a Thursday. Like, this dude came in, you know, whatever. And so he goes, called me Gene. He's like, Gene, you know, 
You don't want to be a coach, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's like, get out. Get out while you can. Don't do it. And I was, of course, very like, why would why would he say that to me? Does he not believe in me oh, as a coach? Oh, you took it all personal instead of being like, right? you don't want this life. <laughs> right? Like his own, his own projection of like, you don't want this shit. And he's like, wait, am I not good enough? Yeah. I was like, wait, my dad's telling me not to be in his business. He's yeah. telling me not to do yeah, this. Nobody loves me. <laughs> but I'm sitting there like school was done. The accomplishments, you know, were kind of there. Like it felt good. I was confident. I was ready for whatever was next. And was going to go be a GA, be a coach, you know, and, and go that route. And like, you know, was very excited about it. And then I got this call. I was eating an Italian uh, nightclub from Jimmy John's. Um, Never forget the moment. And, uh, and playing Madden and chilling, you know, just like, and my dad called and he's like, you know, we have this opportunity on this project in Chicago. I'm like, wow, he's calling me to like, you know, get into his, his business, you know, and build this high rise in Chicago, you know, and just insane trust in me to do that. Like these kids were double engineers out of, you know, U of I, mm. you know, doing that stuff. So I was, so I w- went running towards it, you know, and it was an honor, you know, it was incredible. But it, you know, in reflection, not too long after that was this feeling of, oh, I could tell, you know, that was just so noble for what, for doing it for that reason and mm-hmm. so beautiful. But there was something else that I loved, you know, and, and yeah, and that was just kind of like part of a, you know, then a reoccurring pattern for me that's like how quickly I stepped in then to like fatherhood and obligations mm. and how the dream always had to live like in some other place because I had to fulfill, you know, and I had to do this next These thing. Responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So what was the dream? What was the dream that you put to the side for all that? At the end of the day, I don't know if it was, if it was football, um, but it sure is a beautiful way to express it. Mm. So you, so you've never went back to the game after that. I, I, I spent, you know, about six years or five years or whatever, like where I couldn't even watch a show about football. You know, it's kind of just coming on the backside of that. I just recorded a solo cast about. I watched the Thursday night game last week. Enjoyed it for the first time. Yeah, this is the first season. I had five years. It's awesome, brother. And I was like watching the game and realizing like the NFL had taken the love of the game from me. And I didn't realize it because there was so much like baggage and trauma and like this conflict of interest and how many times I had to prove myself and being told I'm not good enough and getting cut and like all this stuff. And I was finally like, fuck this shit. And I like, that's when I left the NFL. I went and traveled the country like, and all there's so many layers to it, right? It's not just not just my identity, like that's a big piece of it. But there was a part of me that was, you know, on reflection and doing all this processing. And there's a part of me that like I I lost the love of the game. I had all this anger and resentment towards the NFL for taking that from me. And as I like been able to grieve and let go of that, I'm like for the first time like seeing like that that kid that first put the helmet on and pads on. And I remember when I, like, my third or fourth game ever playing the game my freshman year of high school, mm-hmm. I grabbed onto this kid and I drove him, like, 20 yards downfield and put him on his back. <laughs> and I got up, like, whoa. And I was like, that's how you play football. And ever since then, I, like, I loved it. a moment. It. Yeah. I fucking loved it. And I was good at it. But, I, like, the thing with me is I hated everything else that went with it. Yeah. Like, the, the working out, the running, the conditioning. Yeah. 
But every time I do this shit I didn't like, mm -hmm. it was always with that, like, the reason I was able to push myself through all that shit was because I wanted to be great on the field. Mm -hmm. And finally getting to a point where I like, can reconnect with the love. And you know, it's, there's just so many different layers to it. Mm -hmm. like, I really miss being that good at something too. Right. Like I'm, I'm trying to be that good at being an entrepreneur, but I mean, I played football for 16 years. I'm only into this journey for three years. So it's like, I can't expect myself to be. And you're not distracted good. by much at that stage, you know? So oh, like, singular focus. So in it. Yeah. Yeah. And the roadmap is like laid out for you. Like now it's like, I have these infinite possibilities and like all these ideas and like, it's like, how do I make a business work? It's like, well, you could do all these different things. Like football, it's, I literally know every morning I wake up, I know exactly what I need to do to yeah. be successful. I heard something the other day from, from Evan, and he was on, with, uh, on, the, on Soul of Jarrett. Mm -hmm. And he's like, don't use your fatherhood as like an excuse. And I was like, wow. I, I, you know, because I was, by the time I was, you know, 26, I was, you know, I had, 27 i have you know lost a child had a ch had my first daughter you know married you know so like most of the people around me at that age you know weren't doing the thing you know yeah. didn't have the responsibilities that i had yeah. and so it became you know not and it, it did become an excuse it was like oh you can't do you can't make the take this risk because mm. you know and no you know those kids didn't ask for that you know, they just asked for you to come in and love, you know, love them, you know, beyond belief. Yeah. It's literally all they, yeah. only thing they need, yeah. food and water and love. They don't even know that you're like, have, they're, a, they're responsible for them. Because like, how does this food get here? It's like, oh, right. it just shows up and I'm fueled. God, you know, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Yeah, that's, I mean, one thing when I had, had Luca... One of the things that really impacted me, because there's like a lot of processing and grieving that. We both have a Luca. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> I love that. Um, I read this article where it was like, it was like, you know, a lot of a lot of people, a lot of parents, a lot of fathers, they they're not living their dream or they're not living their dharma or their purpose. Mm -hmm. They've gotten to a point where they're like kind of into the societal program like i have responsibilities i need to make money i need to work this job because i need to take care of my family and then they have kids mm -hmm. and then they begin to project onto their kids like oh this kid can be something that i couldn't be right or i have regrets that i didn't play guitar or become a doctor or become a professional athlete mm -hmm. so i'm gonna i'm gonna do everything for this kid to have the best opportunity to be the thing that i could never be right and so they project all this thing onto the kid and there was this article that so someone shared, and it was like it was so beautiful because it's it's such it's so backwards. Mm. Like the only way to inspire your kid mm -hmm. is to go after your purpose dream. and your dream fully. And in the process of doing that, going through the challenges and confronting the fears and taking the risks mm -hmm. and going through all the ebbs and flows that it comes with going fully into that, bringing your kid on that, I just started vibrating, bring your kid on the journey with you and saying, this is what we're doing, this is where I'm headed, and that's going to inspire them, whatever their purpose is, mm -hmm. to know and feel inspired to go do that. So you're not projecting, this is what you need to be, because this right. is what society says, this is what I'm doing, that's what inspires a kid yeah. to be the best that they can be. Yeah. Yeah. So hard. So hard. But be, you know, is it really like, what you just said is beautiful. It's like be inspiring and 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 they will 
you know, they will be inspired. Yeah. And inspire yourself. It's so easy to fall into that trap of the teacher and of the, you know, because it works, you know, like I'm seeing it with my, you know, my experience with my kids. And, you know, it really does work when you try hard and, and when you, when you teach and when you pontificate, you know, and like knowing fully that they might take 1%, you know, like, especially with like, you know, Luca and Sienna, they're like, you know, 12 and 13 and like, Oh, they're right in that ripe age. Huh? They, they have their own beliefs and they have their mm-hmm. own stance. And, and so it's a completely different relationship, you know, like Mateo, who is just turned six, like he's like me a couple years ago, or like, if I read a book, like I'm going to do everything the book says. So like if I, t- you know, if I'm like Mateo, you know, this food will make you magically strong and, and, you know, to breathe like this and he's just going he just it, you know so it's like a toy and yeah, like that's cool. he'll admit you know i see you like that with luca you know the this beautiful influence of your way of life is like bleeding itself on mm. to to your child you know and that's why it's about embodiment though right like yeah. you're telling your kid what 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 success looks like or what happiness looks like or what yeah hard work looks like or what pursuing your dreams looks like and they can sense that bullshit right away. If you're mm-hmm. like unhappy, miserable, suffering, like right. complaining, the energy in the household's all off. And they're like, dad, you're telling me this yeah. and I'm not seeing it. Like, that's why the only journey is to like embody the things you're trying to teach your kids. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you embody that first and show them, not just tell them? I had that moment before I came here where I was amped up and I let, let you know, a couple of things get, like, get, get to me. And I was leaving to come here and Sienna stayed home sick. She said, 12 year old and I could tell I probably didn't bring good energy into the house and then I went to go like lovingly kiss her goodbye and I could tell she was like well hold on a sec I don't want to know that shit (laughs) right (laughs) it it was and I fully brought every ounce of love I had when I said goodbye but you know to your point like they can you know they can process you know your energy so well and that's what's that's what really you know, is, is what they would follow. Mm. You know, I just, it's, I wish I could do it full time. I wish I could just. Full time dad? Yes. Yeah. You know, dream. I was meant for it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you're a great dad. It's the best, isn't it? It is the best. I love it. Like Luca's just a year and a half and he's just starting to come online. Yeah. And he'll like run over to me now and like give me, he's, he's a really busy body. So he like yeah. doesn't snuggle very long or like, but he'll but every now and then he'll like run at me and like give me a big hug for a moment and yeah. he'll just hold it and then he'll like let go and like not want to be like too long and go run around but when he does that hug and he just holds it i'm just like, I'm like <laughs> it's literally the best it's so pure and innocent like right? the love is like yeah there's no resistance no stories it's yeah. it's epic it really is how many kids do you have? You have three? Uh, four kids. Luca's our oldest. She's she's in eighth grade. Sienna's in seventh. And then Juju is, uh, Julie is, uh, and uh, she's she's nine. Greatest Julian. Third or fourth. Third or fourth. And something like that. <laughs> Juju's chilling. She's not really, she doesn't care what grade she's in either. Yeah. You know? Like I always, like I always, I grew up with just my sister and I. We had this like amazing, you know, relationship because it was just two of us. So like, you know how that is? Like there's only two people in the car. Yeah. You know, so on the road trip, it's just you two. Yeah. That's a, you know, it's, it's at home she's navigate. Like we shared a room, you know, basically. Like she had her own room, but she really just stayed with me. You yeah. know, 
we had this great, just incredible relationship. And, and, but I remember feeling like a little bit as a kid, once I started like, psychoanalyzing like my childhood, you know, I was like, oh, big families are cool because. <laughs> it was one well we don't have. Yeah, like, because you got all this chaos and like, you know, you can't be like, you know, you really can't be like, you know, watched too well, you know, like the freedom away to with me more. looked amazing. Yeah. And, I, and I, what I always noticed, I thought about big families was that like, like in my family, like you could be like, oh, you're like your mother, you're like your father, mm. you know, and at the big families, like, I'm like, I think if I have a big enough family, I'll have one that's nothing like me or my wife, you know, so and that's Julia, that's Julia, yeah. She finally got one, <laughs> she's doing her own thing. She's just, yeah, she's just the best. And then my son, Mateo, just turned six. Oh, that's cool. So I had three girls. We lost, we lost our, our first. Um, Katie and I were, uh, my wife Katie and I were dating. I had my first place in the West Loop. Buddy Tommy from Detroit, the great Tommy Jakaki was, we were living in the West Loop, you know, and like, tw- you know, 24 or 25 years old. And it was that very childlike adulthood yeah, age. Yeah, good times. Amazing. And within... With, it was in July, and then within, you know, four months, three months, I had been married and lost a child. Mm. So Was it a miscarriage? Or? It was a miscarriage, yeah. yeah. We found out that we were going to have a baby in August, in July, and we set a date to get married in October. And three days before the wedding, we lost our son. He just came too soon. And, you know, we got to hold him and, you know, have, you know, take breaths with him. And it was a beautiful, as, as you know, as so deeply late, painful as it was, it was, it was really beautiful. Like, I'll never forget. They actually delivered him and got to hold him. Yeah, he just can't, she could, you know, she just didn't know at the time that she couldn't hold the pregnancy. Mm. I think there's like better ways to test that now but it's like an incompetent cervix, you know, and the cervix needs support. And so you're able, if you, once you know it, then you just give support to that area of the body Uh, and it doesn't have any trouble. So we had four kids after, you know. Oh, interesting. Uh, He came out, he was just absolutely perfect looking and, mm -hmm. you know, looked like a family member and, you know. Wow. And so so you were 24 at that time? So our Luca got Luca's name because even though she was a girl, that's how... uh, that was her her calling into this, you know, was to be able to receive like, you know, her brother's name and it was very impactful. She's a special one. Wow. Yeah. So then like within 18 months I had two kids. So like then I had Sienna. Went for it. Then Let's I had go. Sienna. And, you know, so it was just, yeah, it was just a you know, beautiful like start, but immediately the stakes were so high, you know, for me at like a young age. Mm. What were you doing to support him? You were still working for your dad at that time? So no, so I had, uh, I was going to go to Europe to play football in like an Italian league. It was the NFL Europe, but then they had, at the time, like in Germany and in Italy, they had these little feeder teams and they could only let two Americans on out there. And uh, so I had my bags packed by the door and then uh, this guy named Tony Tertilli who became, later became like my brother, my best friend. And I, and, uh, but at the time I didn't know it. And he uh, gave me an offer to be a real estate you know, developer with him. And at the time that was like getting a, like a tech job in uh, Silicon Valley, like Chicago was booming. It was like Austin is now, 
And it was like the ideal job, you know? Mm. So then I'm like, oh. So again, another right turn, you know? Trying to get back into football. And then, and, then, uh, and, and so then, you know, and that led into like, you know, you know, two, you know, two years later, we were in a great recession, you know, and not a good time to be in real not estate. Not a good time to be in real estate. And so even though I like, you know, just fondly, fondly remember that time. It was so fun. You know, Tony's the coolest guy in the world and a good person. Mm -hmm. I loved going to work and like lived in the West Loop. We had these two little kids. Did you learn a lot about real estate from him? Was that because you were talking about real estate? I grew up around it. Yeah. So my dad was a builder. Okay. Like he loved to cut, like, you know, like a, a, you know, he built big buildings, but like, you know, he liked to carve, you know, and like just an amazing man. Yeah. And so I, I was just in that my whole life. And so it just kind of felt natural. Mm-hmm. you know it was like the coach's son becomes a coach or whatever yeah. but i was doing that so what'd you do in the recession once that happened so that was a really 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 hard time because my dad's like i can see the writing on the wall you know this is an opportunity to take a chance get out of this business i don't know if it'll ever be the same you know and i jumped on with a startup and the business was a really sound good business plan at the startup uh-huh mm-hmm and but there was a thief with inside thief took the money out it was the money that you know that we put in Mm. so now into the great recession and the recession proof investment kind of thing that was going to be the next thing is gone and sienna's like you know two months old and so i remember sitting in a circle like this in the living room and my dad was there he called my mom down and my, my wife down and you know we were all sitting in the living room at the in the west loop and remember how calm he was you know it was like my first really big lesson you know with like a you know that stillness by by certain people that have that calm presence and soul you know and Mm -hmm. taught me really i remember going thinking like what would i what do i even say to my wife you know her child is two months old and all the money's gone you know kind of thing and there's no way we're getting a paycheck you know and uh, my dad comes down. He's like, ordered dinner, you know. So the dinner comes. And then Freedom likes it. And then living the dream over there. He comes down with a, with a check from a friend of his. He's like, a, he's like an uncle to me. His name's Tony Belcor. So he comes down with, so the food's there. There's a little bit of money at the table. He's super calm. He's like, everything's going to be okay, you know? And, you know, that, re- that really served me well in the future. Because it was, you know, not that I didn't see that my whole life. We were talking about that being. He was that always. But, you know, it was, it was a good lesson at a very pivotal time. And I, I went bankrupt and foreclosed by the time I was like 28. Wow. And so your dad came to support you through that with some money? And it was... It was an offering, but it was just like about the like ceremony of like how that that you know couple of hours felt, you know, and like knowing total like what yeah, I do? it was five thousand dollars or something, you know, like yeah. it was like lifesaver though at that time, right? It could yeah. be a you know, it was only enough for two mortgage payments, but it was <laughs> <laughs> it extended me just a little bit, and 
and my dad was always like a beautiful provider and we always felt kind of we were on this business journey together and mm -hmm. so he definitely supported he supported me um but i yeah it, it started a wild journey where then here i was as a young father couldn't provide um i was never truly motivated by money i just really i you know i wasn't motivated by money i like nice things you know like i was always around safety and security you know which is what money provides right yeah. like i sit in this living room right now like that you have and it's like it's nice right and it's just like provide such a beautiful place for relationships and for your life and like you know it's quiet and there's trees and like that takes money you yeah. know yeah. and so yeah so i just like i went on a wild ride of just then trying to find you know money became then the goal I was like fine remember i was driving my high school car and you know didn't have any money had to go back to this rental and you know the bad part the bad part of town in glen ellen you know and and it was like i was crying you know it was like finally broke you know I'm like fine i'll go make money and i got into a business to do that you know met a young kid who later became like a brother to me and you know had this like got the all the money how'd you get the money i was like oh okay this is what you have to do what was the did you, sale did you, it was in, we, we took yeah we took yeah we took like all of you know that reputation and that you know that bloodline of like being in that business and having beautiful relationships and friendships and all i had to do is you know honor those friendships you know as long as we had a widget on the back side that did the same job somebody else did yeah and that was insurance you know you could basically be a better broker than the other guy yeah he's out he's golfing anyway uh -huh. you know and my friend don was just the coolest dude in the world you know we went through a lot a lot together and we went all the way up and all the way down there and at the end the cfo came in takes the money again you know but it, he's not to blame you know he's not to blame. our eyes are off the ball you know and but yes he did take money <laughs> what do you mean he's not to blame <laughs> i blame myself because i'm like watch the shop you well, know so so this guy stole from you and he's not to we blame. thought we were in an analog movie where we were gonna just like you know, right off into the, the sunset yeah. at 30. There was a lot of people cashing out at 34 then, you know, it was like yeah. the Uber era, you know? Yeah. And, but, you know, it was, it was another ride. So this is a pattern. Has, has anybody ever stolen, like, three, third time's a charm is people just take the money from a business here? I think in reality, with. I think in reality, it led me to a beautiful place. And all those people were super important. The experiences were super important and i you know never in a million years would imagine how i would have been driven into the places i was driven if it were for those mega 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 lessons you know what i mean so what were the biggest lessons i mean it was soul separating you know it was detaching from you know really you know true nature so you were more focused business, like more yeah. like a shark, like doing it for money, like yeah, doing it, whatever. It I takes. always had love every day for every individual that I touched. I didn't like change, change as like a yeah. a human being, but I just made decisions that weren't and good. Pretty. Yeah. So what? So yeah. so moving through that, what was the big kind of shift and wake up call? Because I want to get into like kind of your entrepreneurial journey sure. now and sure. what, you're, what you're working on. So. 
coming out of that, it was about healing, but I couldn't leave. You know, I couldn't take the van trip. You know, when I say couldn't, I'm saying, you know, that's my projection of, you know, the experience was that, yeah. you know. Prisoner of your own mind. Yes, and of the world, yeah, of the world around me. And, and so, you know, yes, it became about, like, are you willing to do it here instead of, like, the voyage that you think you have to take? Mm-hmm. And so I stayed right there and, like, had the most beautiful moments in my life, you know. In the, like, we had this little white um, little bungalow thing in Glen Ellen. Like, we got to the better side of town. And, uh, but it was the cutest house and it was like where we raised our kids. And there's, you know, three bedrooms, one and a half bathrooms, like everybody just like all in the same spot, you know? And, uh, and so like they would wake up in the morning and, you know, I would be in the kitchen and in prayer and practice, you know, and just kind of came, you know, rushing over me. And all of my practices revolved around it and everything just like felt so it's good. Like spiritual connection. Yeah. It's a reconnection with my soul. And so, so I'm curious about that because I think that's like one of the things I love most is like the story of when did that come online? When did that flip, yeah. switch flip? Uh, you know, like I look at like so many different signs. Like in re- I do write a lot. And so you can see it in like notes. Like I'll see a date and then I'll see like wake up and um, wake up and I have the choice of my words. I'd be like wake up and greet the sun or, you know. And this is all stuff that just slowly started coming online, and you're like when you felt out of integrity with the with the chasing the money and like yeah. that energy, and then what was the thing that happened that was like this isn't it? And was it just a slow, gradual process of starting to come back to yourself? It didn't happen in an instant, but it certainly was, you know, with the ver- like, with the velocity of like a car accident. You know, like I mean, it was, it washed over me. Mm. that there was a you know a new life mm-hmm. you know and that there was you just couldn't show up and be doing the same things you were doing right like had to change right and when i look back at it, it was little signs like i told you i remember i took like a i take like a million pictures every day yeah you can see it in my pictures if you go back you know it'll be like all of a sudden there you know there's flowers a, yes like caterpillar walking. right <laughs> right and 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 i like i actually read I had read Stephen Kotler's Stealing Fire. Mm. And to me at the time, I was in, I wanted purity and I wanted like a discipline. And so it wasn't like I was running to like psychedelics or medicine or anything. So I was kind of like in like a, a purest state, you know, or like I wasn't, I didn't need much food to live on. And like, and, but I read Stealing Fire and it was like, he would, he was telling me in a way that was like so noble, you know, he's talking about, you know, these, these experiences and, and the level of performance, you know, performance was like really important for me at that time. I wanted to provide, you know, I wanted safety and security for my family. Now it wasn't about money. And then, you know, that was so attractive. And, and when he like touched on the ways to get into that flow and it wasn't like the same I wasn't ready to hear religious speak. I wasn't ready to hear, you know, some of the deeper part of the journeys that I eventually go on. So this was just like so bite-sized. Like, yeah, that was exactly what you needed at the time. And it was beautiful, you know, and I, and I used, um, you know, I micro, used microdose. And I, I, you know, I loved the science of it. And I was like, 
you know, I used, I preferred LSD to the, initially because you could be so precise. So it was like this exact amount at this time will produce X because it's, in, you know, it's lab made. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was every like, you know, three days or whatever. And the first day would be kind of that like day of observance. And, and you know, you would be able to set, you know, to choose a day where you didn't, you know, have to perform at a high level, you could experience it. Um, and, and, you know, and then the second day would kind of be that like reward from the way of life that you just came from. And then the third day would be kind of homeostasis and then you do it again, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but the psychedelics are so smart that like it actually led me to, oh, well, this is fake. You must move on, you know, yeah. like, and I literally was adverse then. I could have, you know, and that's what I think is so fascinating about what people are loving about that world. It's not that it's for everybody yeah. or not that you should run out and do it, like, not at all. But like, it's a very intelligent medicine that will reveal truth. Mm-hmm. And, and that part is like, usually, you know, is the reason that it doesn't lead to addiction. Yeah, well, I mean, it depends how you look at addiction, too, because what's coming to me is it's also people use it when they're like, it's so intelligent, they're looking for that connection to God or the expansive feeling or the elevation of consciousness, and it becomes mm-hmm. the thing that people keep going to. Even And microdosing is one thing, but doing like deep ceremonial work. Oh, it comes. And, yeah, that. and you got to integrate that. And if Otherwise, you're, you're living for the next ceremony. Yeah, you're doing it for the peak experience, not yeah. for the actual healing. That took me a little bit. I'm still on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually had this this experience when I was. Uh, yeah, I've worked with ayahuasca quite a bit, mm-hmm. and went to I think I've done like six or seven retreats, and it was like it was my fourth or fifth one. Uh, I went down uh, to Costa Rica to a healing center, and had this experience where the medicine just like completely obliterated me, mm-hmm. and it was I developed a relationship with the medicine, but like for some reason it metabolizes really slow in my system. And so Mm -hmm. I'd be having these experiences where I'd drink a lot of medicine and during the ceremony when like the medicine uh, people are working and they're doing their ikaros and they're doing their energetic healing, like I'm I'm not really having a deep experience. And then I'd go eat snack after the ceremony, like eat some fruit or whatever they have laid out. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, like all of it would activate. And so (laughs) since I've gotten to know myself and know the medicine, like I'll bring a little banana with it, in with me to yeah. ceremony, like after 30 minutes after I drink, I eat, which really helps metabolize it. But this experience I drank, I, I kind of had an idea of, of this happening to me. This is like my 10th or 11th ceremony. And I, I told the, the shaman, I was like, hey, like this medicine really hits me late. Can I, can I drink earlier? Is there anything I can do? Mm. And he, he like laughed and he said, we'll just give you twice as much. Mm. And I'm like, okay. And so I go in there and of course, it was kind of ironic when I when I went in and I sat down in the in the maloka in the circle. The the first night they went to serve, they started with the person next to me and they started going this way. So I like started laughing because I was going to be the last person to drink. And it takes like forty minutes. The sense of me. humor of the medicine. Yeah, and I was, I was like, like oh no, no, God. no, Joe. <laughs> yeah, you're going to sit here and you're going to be the last to drink. And it was a lesson of like asking for what I want, not just like assuming they would know. I, like I wanted really to be like, we'll we'll serve you first. Yeah. And so the next night I was like, hey, can I go first? And they all like thought about it. I'm like. Not asking. <laughs> yeah, like, like, yeah. I don't really want to go first. Interesting. And so That's <clears throat> medicine hits me, ceremony closes, and I'm walking back up to my room, and all of a sudden, brrr, like, you know how it is. And 
I go into my room, lock the door, and I just get obliterated into like infinite potential. And in that process, uh, I realized that there was this part of me that was seeking to find the answer, like the thing that would give me permission, the thing that would give me my knowing, the thing that would give me the thing I've been looking for, which is like God and connection and source. Like what, what, like what is the thing that is outside the mystery that's going to give me all the answers? And in that process, it was really beautiful. It was one of the most frightening experiences of my life because I was just losing sense of self. I was literally, I was in the primordial void and every thought I had would create entire realities. Mm -hmm. And in that process, I would, I was like losing the thread back to my reality. Mm. And so it was this really insane experience. And in that process, I realized, oh, this is what I was looking for. Like mm -hmm. I am infinite potential. I am the creator of my reality and everything I think I create. Mm -hmm. And I just had to go all the way there to realize like that's what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. And there's really nothing outside of that. Mm -hmm. And when I came back, I was it's like one of the only moments because I'm a pretty strong dude and I like have this warrior mindset when I go into <laughs> those type of realms and stuff. Like I'm really pretty grounded most of the time. Yeah. And I had good. to seek out like facilitators there. And I was like, I need to process this. This is like really intense. And I didn't know if I wanted to do medicine anymore. And after that experience, I didn't do like any deep ceremony or plant medicine work for like a year and a half. And it wasn't until, and this is a really cool thing with ayahuasca, it wasn't until my, my friend was, was facilitating a retreat in Austin. And I thought he, I, I had talked to him, he serves ayahuasca at a, at a church in California. And I, I talked to him like eight months prior. Mm -hmm. And he was like, he was like, yeah, I'm thinking about doing like more of a, like a non-psychoactive plant medicine retreat where you learn about herbology and like mm -hmm. different plants that can support different things. Mm -hmm. um, I was like, that's dope. And he was telling me about this like eight months prior. And so like a couple months before the retreat, he's like, hey, man, I'm coming down, like uh, hosting a couple of retreats. We'd love for you to be there. I'm like, signed up. Like, hell yeah, I'll be there. Like, I'd love to support you and, uh, and be on the journey. And it wasn't until like two weeks before he sent me the logistical email. And it was like, all this dieta restrictions and like watch what you eat. And I was like, I shot him a text. I'm like, hey man, uh, I'm just curious. Like I'm not really able to connect. Like are we drinking medicine? And he's like, yeah, we're, we're, we're drinking ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh shit. And like all of the fear of like that experience is like, I don't know if I want to go into that. And I had this like fear of the medicine mm -hmm. and being blasted off. And so I, I checked in and I like meditated on it and I was getting a strong, like, yes, you're supposed to be there. And so it was really cool. I had this really deep reconnection with the medicine. It was really loving. It was really mm -hmm. supportive. I reconnected with the medicine. It was like there was one moment when she was like right there, like, and I could just feel like I was like this, like she could rip my ego like into shreds. But she was just sitting there, and I was like, I was like, oh, and she's like, I'm like I'm, I love you. Like I'm an ally. Like mm -hmm. I'm on your team. Mm -hmm. And when she said, that, I was like, oh, like you're right. Like we're not like you're, the hard lessons and stuff is what sometimes we get. But it's like you're you're there to teach me and you're there to love me and it's just really beautiful medicine space and uh, in that process it's it's funny to reflect like I would have not gone and sought out ayahuasca again mm -hmm. but she came literally like to my doorstep and was like hey and like veiled herself and was like hey it's time to to work with me again mm -hmm. and so it's just cool to like as I've gone on this journey when I first started it was like what's the next experience I want to experience it all and you know. There's good intentions for that, and there's some probably not so good intentions for that, and just like mm -hmm. wanting the experience and chasing the the peak experiences and all this stuff. But as I've developed this relationship, I fully trust now that like the experience, like the medicines that are ready to work with me, like they will present themselves mm -hmm. 
and checking in and knowing so I don't have to go searching for all mm-hmm. this peak experiences. Like it's all, they're definitely tools and they're amazing. Mm-hmm. But I'm grateful I had to like go deep into mm-hmm. the dissolution of self to, to realize like, okay, I got to respect these things a little more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, such a deep place for me. Yeah. You know, hearing your experience and, you know, it's really... It's beautiful. It's beautiful medicine. The tradition is like just, you know, just so beautiful. And, you know, have a really strong connection right now to to keeping that tradition sacred, you know, and feeling a little, you know, yeah, feeling a little insecure about, you know, its role here, you know, and just really Maybe his role here in the West, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. yeah, and just afraid that you know it's not rooted in tr- enough tradition yeah. for the traditions to be upheld, and you know, and that's it's okay. Like there's going to be mistakes, but like you know, it's everything. You know, yeah. and like I don't eat. You know, I don't even want to. I don't want to be in a circle anymore unless. Yeah, it's yeah. It's rooted in the tradition. Totally. You know and. I found, as a result, I found these other ways to honor that as well, you know, in our, in our tradition or, you know, in ways that were, you know, in so many different ways, you know, like, I laugh at like, did you ever read the book, uh, uh, It's Here Now, Are You by Bhagavan, mm-hmm. Bhagavan Das? Bhagavan was like, you know, the guy who led Ram to the Maharaji mm-hmm. and he's epic, you know, and he's a folklore and you know and he's a real person he's, he's the man mm-hmm. and he was a young kid out of california grew up where you did uh in the in the 60s and uh he got over to india you know kind of before that revolution took place but he was there and eventually welcomed in around us and you know and that was really the beginning of you know richard Alpert turning into ram but it was through this long blonde haired you know Californian who had become the Indian culture and his book is so beautiful because he goes from a cave in India to you know a spiritual celebrity and and performing in you know in New York with you know the great minds of philosophy and of music you know and there's like you know there's like Lenin there and like you know and and, uh you know and then like a um oh What's his name? Our boy, the guru. Uh, beautiful poet, uh, beautiful speaker um, with, the, with the cool beard. Beautiful philosopher. I don't know. Same age, kind of. Same like 60s. No, like. Oh, but yeah. Um, what's his name? He's like the best Western Taoist, you know, like speaker. Um, Always on Alan Watts. Alan Watts, <laughs> yes. I just listened to some Alan Watts. Loving Alan Watts. So what about him? You know, so he's going through this, like, goes from India then to then, like, this kind of spiritual, like, parade, which is very, like, you can see that happening now, you know. And then, and then eventually, like, you know, he's back in the U.S. and his reality shifts, and then he's selling insurance now, you know. And, <laughs> and then he's, you know all of a sudden finds himself in a, you know, Southern Christian church, you know, and, and living that experience. And, and he ends up obviously like coming right back where he started, you know, and like, 
that story was so prevalent for me. Like, you know, I would, you know, experience the tradition of, you know, this, you know, beautiful form of God, which is, you know, this one, you know, this food from the earth and, and this plant and just like really feeling God in that place. And then going, you know, into a place of congregation in like a church and then like feeling it there. And, mm. you know, and it was, I didn't have like any resentment or anger or judgment towards like the, the thing. Yeah. It was just like this, like, you know, experience of, of like being open to it all. It's the, exper like the experiential process. Yeah. And it really is. It's all about sacred space. Yeah, totally. I think yeah. taking a few breaths together yeah. like with intention and the sacred circle. Yes. And I mean, that's what I feel really called to is like bringing these traditions and how much I've learned from the medicine space and even like men's work. And you know, I'm doing this apprenticeship with one of my mentors and he's really into like transpersonal psychology and to study and understand Groff. And so it's like all these different lineages and different ways of thinking and doing and connecting mm. and it all comes back to, back to the sacred space mm. like and that's that's creating safety yeah. and then creating the intention of like if we're coming together like what does it say in the bible where two or more gather in my name in my name yeah. and i am present there and that's really it yeah. and bringing that back into our society into our culture and i've been doing that with with businesses like i was sharing earlier it's like how do we bring the sacred space? And, and you talked about earlier in the podcast, like connecting with that depth with people. Mm -hmm. Like you can facilitate that. Like I just got back from this 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 rafting retreat that I, I hosted and facilitated, mm -hmm. and being out in nature on the river, like Mother Nature is doing the heavy lifting and holding like a lot of the space. Mm -hmm. But it was just really beautiful being able to, for four days, like all these strangers coming together, mm -hmm. and because is able to create safety through mm -hmm. simple things like taking a breath and having simple prompts. People feel safe enough to speak from the heart. Mm -hmm. And when people speak from the heart and they're witnessed, mm -hmm. then you get to know them more than you know, some of your like, closest family and friend. Because mm -hmm. a lot of our connections, we don't, we don't feel safe to go there to talk about the depth of what we're moving through. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is powerful right it is powerful yeah and i think that was part of the challenges that i would have next was you know with that kind of with that kind of openness and i absorbed so much and there was a lot of information coming at me and i like you know that was like the thirst for more just became you know very like i couldn't read enough books when i was in that state you know, in that state of inspiration and of, you know, such, it's such a strong energy. And I don't think I knew how I was going to apply it yet. I just wanted to keep just absorbing bar it. Hose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give it all to me. And it's just what you just said, you know, it's just about, I don't, you don't have to create that safety and security of a sacred circle in its reality, you know, or in its, you know, literal sense, but bring it with you everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. And you being willing to start this conversation with the breath was that for me. Mm -hmm. I was like immediately dropped into, I felt God, you know, mm -hmm. and I felt honor. And then it really wasn't 
about anything else. Yeah. And, and I'm slowly learning to do that. You know, I'm still pursuing multiple avenues when it comes to like supporting my family. And there's the dream. And then there's, you know, ways to like support this family. And so I'm in that very common transitionary time. The dream doesn't provide yet. Mm-hmm. And, and so I have to use it all the time because I'm, is it, can I not bring love and honor and respect the way that you just did to this conversation in, at, in any setting, you know, mm-hmm. if it's like a boardroom, you know. Oh. And like, That's right. It's just a frequency, right? Right. Overlay. Yeah, and I mean, I'm learning a lot because I feel feel super called to to bring more of this to the world. And I, like as I've deepened my knowing of who I am and what I'm here to do, it's the it's not about like a message. It but it's 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 crazy how it's been. You know, I, like I shared, I had this desire to find the truth or find the answer so that I could share it with people to help like facilitate this collective shift that we're moving through mm-hmm. and to realize it's so simple Mm -hmm. it's in the breath right and being able to regulate your own nervous system right being able to like be present which you use the breath as an anchor to get back to presence everything else is is like it's just all like noise yeah noise yeah and there's so many people that are coming online to and they want to be healers Mm -hmm. they want to be even like this the instagram coach right Right. and it's i want to be you know right but to, to, to learn like the, the nobody really heals another person. What they do is they can hold the frequency of presence so that natural, intuitive uh, part of the psyche, the inner healer within the, the individual psyche right. feels safe enough to present itself and have a healing experience. And now, yeah, there's practitioners that can move energy and there's shamanic right. practitioners that are super tapped in and can like walk with yeah. the worlds. But what they're really doing to access that is through the frequency of presence. Mm-hmm. And all of us have access to that. And so to hold space for that to take place is really the gift. It's not about having the answer and being the guru and being the teacher. Because we're all students and we're all teachers. And through our own experience is how we inspire people yes. by what I've lived through, what I've done. Because like there's, you know, I've read all the books too, and they all say the same thing. They all say the same thing, yeah. There's nothing new out there except no. you. Right. And your experience, right. and like how you live it, and right. then being able to share that. Right. And the greatest teachers, you know, when people tell stories about whoever that is, you know, like there's a, this common thread is always, I don't know, they just kind of sit there and laugh, you know, or, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they talk the about cosmic joke. Yeah, like, you know, all the great names out there, you know, like, like Rick Rubin, right? Like he's, you, you hear like people say about being in his presence, they're like, uh. He, dude, yeah, I think he just like laid there the whole time. But like my music was ten times better. But like he, Rick didn't move. He would come into the room and just you know hang, and then get up quietly much later. <laughs> but like he was just kind of there, but it like worked. And then and then like they, there's so many other guys like that or and women, the, the the like the teachers, you know, they're just like their presence. It's what you're saying. This is a frequency. It's a frequency. Yeah, yeah, and it's being able to like hold the paradigm. It's really, it's really refreshing and and freeing, you know, for somebody that has a heart that is like, you know, for whatever reason, motivated by the things that healing, you know, 
provides and the things that healing creates. It's a very creative, you know, world. And you said it earlier, but it was funny because it's like as soon as you go through it, you just want to start. You want to start healing people. Yeah, like and I that want is real. Experiences. And it says it. You know, it says it loud and clear to you, though. You know, like the messages that you received is to love people, and that's what people are feeling. Mm-hmm. They feel it's seen. They feel yeah. heard. Sometimes for the first time, like that. When you actually like are present with somebody, mm-hmm. it's a palpable energy, right? And they're just like, well, like I don't know what it is about that person. And then even like you see people walk into a room, yeah. Like what's what is it about that person? Yeah, it's like they're just they're super present. They're not lost in their story. Yeah. And, they're able to hold themselves. They know who they are. Yeah. It's a felt experience. Yeah. It's really powerful. It is really powerful. Yeah, it's holding the paradox, too, of, like, like both, like, everything matters, mm-hmm. but also nothing matters. Mm-hmm. And so being able to, like, go through a challenging experience. You know, I had this, I had this experience um, without going too deep into it. I was basically found myself, you know, grieving and I was, I was, it was like a really deep somatic release. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I grew up in a Christian upbringing, very dogmatic and fear-based, like I'm sure a lot of people have experienced. And I remember the biggest horror stories when I was younger was around possession and like, mm-hmm. you know, evil or, or demons possessing people. And like, that used to fucking scare the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Like, I would not be able to sleep at night if there's, like, the shadows. Like, is there an energy that's going to, like... Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm on the floor. This is, like, I don't know, probably six months ago. I'm on the floor. Hawaii's holding space for me. And I'm, like, accessing this, like, deep somatic release. And I don't have any judgment. I've developed the tools to, like, allow myself to go deep into that stuff and, like, the grieving process and crying without judging it. Like, I'm just, like I don't have... I don't even know where this came from. It wasn't, like... It was almost like a past life, like, some energy was coming through. And I was just like convulsing on the ground and just like kind of witnessing it. And Sarah was there holding space with me. I was just allowing this energy to move through my body. It was similar to like an ayahuasca type mm-hmm. purge, but I was completely sober. And in that process, there was a, there was a part of me, like the, the observer part that was kind of just observing and allowing this thing to happen, mm-hmm. that started laughing because I was like, man, if my younger self saw this happening to me, mm-hmm. it was like an exorcism. You know, like energy was leaving my body. Like, I would have been like, what the fuck is this? Like, are you serious? But I was, like, allowing myself to just be with it. Wow. And I was witnessing myself, and I was laughing at myself as I was going through the process. Because How I was, did like, you just, get there? How did I get there? Well, like, just, what, what was your practice, and if you don't mind, like... Well, just doing work with plant medicine and, like, having those... But in that moment? In that moment. Like, is, how did you honor, you know, and drop so presently into that space without medicine? Uh, it was actually it was really, part of your practice that night. Or? Okay, yeah, so I can tell the story. So so me and Sarah had been moving through uh, like a pretty big disconnection. Yeah. Like we were accessing some like codependency patterns yeah. and we kind of went through this big like coming back to ourselves. And so then we were coming back together. So there's a lot of energy present with both of us. They were like, all right, let's. So we set intentional space. We came together uh, to connect physically. And in that process, you know, things were getting fired up. We played some music. And um, there, there, was, there was a moment where we put Luca to bed. This is funny. And Sarah went to get her lingerie on. And so we were, like, setting the space, and we're all excited. And we haven't connected in a while. It was like we're reconnecting from this big disconnection mm-hmm. and working on a lot of material together. And so we're both really looking forward to it. And, you know, that first year 
with that first kid is like really challenging in right. that way because you're just like right. you know she's not feeling herself her sexual drive is a little bit diminished right and so we're coming back together she's like i'm gonna go get ready stay on the couch we're gonna do this thing i'm like all right and then all of a sudden like luca's just screaming and so i go into the into the room and I like pick him up and he throws up on me. No way. And so I'm walking out and trying to clean him up. And then I'm like walking back in. And then right when I'm walking back in, we have this hallway. And like Sarah opens the door, like looking all sexy and her like lingerie. And I'm just like holding Luca right there, just throw up all over me. And like, sorry, babe, you know? <laughs> and she was like, oh. And then so she got like a little bit insecure because she was like, yeah, had this like vision of like coming yeah. out and like us moving into this right. thing. And there was just a lot of vulnerability still because we were like coming back together. And so I was like, ah, oh, like let me get him ready. So I put him back in bed. Like, all right, let's do this thing. And we, we end up getting into it. And then all of a sudden, it was like all of that material that was in, in the surface between us. Mm-hmm. It like came and like all the sexual energy just died. Mm-hmm. And in, as it died, we both felt it. And Sarah was like, you know, it's one of those moments where we like both were like kind of creating that story of like, projecting it onto the other Mm -hmm. like we both felt it but it's like it's you it's not me Mm -hmm. and then sarah did a really good job of like hey like i feel that like what's what's going on and i was like i just i think there's like some some deep like sexual shame material coming up right now and i don't know what it is but i I, the energy is obviously in my body and so you talk about like the tools that i've developed is Mm -hmm. to know like when my nervous system is communicating to me i don't have to have a conscious story of it but i know like okay there's something here yeah and so she's like I was like, do you mind if I go into this, you know? Because, like, otherwise we're just going to be sitting here and trying to figure it out. I was like, do you mind if I go in this? She's like, yeah. And so she held space for me. I was like, I got a pillow. And I went and laid down. And I just, like, I just, like, went inward. And I, like, felt where the energy was at my body. And I just allowed it to come to the surface. And it was just, like, and I was, like, crying and grieving and, like, shaking. And, like, all this stuff was moving. What's crazy is... Is she was having a vision of like a past life experience that was coming through her as I was going through this experience. Wow. But like nothing like that. Like I don't have a very strong visionary space. And even her, like just even her sharing that with me, like the past life and what she saw, like I still don't attach to that, you know? And it's mm-hmm. it's it's pretty cool to hear like the energies and stuff that goes through because it was it was uh like whether I lived a past life or not, there was something in my energy field mm-hmm. that like I wasn't doing that on purpose. Like I wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, and I was just like surrendering to it and moving that energy. And because I've had, you know, work with, with plant medicine and, and those types of experiences where there's like profound somatic healings taking place, I was able to to be with it. And in yeah. that space, I was just witnessing like myself and like laughing at the process as well. So I was like both deep in a wow. deep process, but also like being able to observe it from this place of like non-duality. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it was cool, man. And it, like it was so cathartic. Yeah. And it's interesting because like a lot of this deep, deep shadow work, and we have. Did you feel that last for like a long, a long time? There's and... there, so there was some like deeper psychological material that I was working on, mm-hmm. and like some deeper habits and patterns mm-hmm. that I, you know, had some judgment around and some shame around, and like being able to and, and like not being able to change them. Yeah. It's like, why do these things have a hold on me? Right. And through that process of that somatic release, uh-huh. it's gone. Wow. Which is crazy. It's mm-hmm. it's like it's gone. Mm-hmm. Which is like I don't. It's just the the collective unconscious, the psyche, past lives, like all this stuff. Like yeah. There's all this different language, but there's yeah. something there that I experienced that's pretty profound. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I could feel. 
I can feel like the need and desire to go through that. Like I can feel even with all the, you know, even if you do all the right things, there are these moments where, you know, there has to be a major release of past things in order to, in order to, to, to really, to have that free flow of emotion and feeling and, and of peace that release is so important and it lives inside like you know very possessively like it does not want to go yeah because you, you don't know. want to let go or you don't feel safe don't feel safe to like go because yeah. it's a vulnerable thing like right i'm sitting there on the ground like kind of flailing and it's like you know if i'm not looked after like if sarah's not there holding space and i like i've created enough safety with myself to be able to go there most people don't know how to access that. Right. They'll they'll start even feeling like a little bit of emotion, and they say, you know, we're told as men, like, don't cry, be right. strong, hold in. So people hold on to it. Right. And like, of course, our society doesn't have space for grief. Right. You know, like people feel sorry, they want to help you instead of right. being like, let it out. Like that's right. like, let me feel you feel that depth of emotion. And when you're able to access that depth of emotion, it is like the only way to really heal is to feel. It happens through the somatic release and through the feeling. Right. And we just don't have space. We weren't taught how to grieve. I think that's one of the biggest issues I see in the world yeah. is we don't have the tools to grieve. We don't have the space to grieve. We don't feel safe mm -hmm. enough to grieve. We don't know how to grieve. Mm -hmm. And so many people are wound up so tight hanging on to all these yeah. resentment stories, patterns, uh, traumas, experiences with their parents or their sibling. And it's like yeah. there's this all this tension. And right. It's like, Forgiveness happens in the grieving of the loss of what what you wanted it to be, and the experience was not that. And being able to see it from a different perspective, right? And like you let it go. That's what it is. Like letting right. it go, right? Yeah, we see that like so much in our like fear of death, and the, you know, and especially just like as a whole, you know, us as a group, like we're just trying to figure out how to live longer and longer and longer, and you know, and how do you, you think can, you do that? You can you can see it in a sadness, you know, in death and in others and how mm. we experience the passing of someone and like, you know, it can be such a celebration and, so, and such an honor and you can, you know, how do you do that? I, you know, somewhere in there, is somewhere in there is like a level of of knowing and of faith that at some point creeps into the depth of your soul and you have no shadow of doubt and there's a million ways to get there you know mm. for some people they've seen life you know transform in front of their eyes and they've seen the miraculous and they've seen you know whatever that life-changing moment was or you know but at some point, it goes from wondering to like knowing of it. I remember when my dad was passing, he had this beautiful faith of, you know, kind of rooted in, in you know, our Catholic background. And his place of meditation was the church, you know, and like had a beautiful relationship with his faith. And I saw him pass with such peace because of it. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's what it looks like, mm. you know? 
to like be present through the death dying process. It's amazing. Even though the cancer was so aggressive on him, you know, he was definitely passing in peace, you know, and that was, you know, that was definitely a big, a big moment. Mm. You know, one of those getting to see, you know, it or whatever. Yeah, being present for him. Yeah. It's a powerful experience. Yeah. Yeah. Like how present, I mean, how often are we present for someone's passing mm-hmm. and some, like even birth, right? Like these right. two transitional phases right. of the human experience and we're, they're, they're, they're veiled from us normally. Yeah. The only birth I've ever witnessed is my son and it was like, holy shit. Like literally like this, like portal opens. Right. And new life comes. Right. And how beautiful to honor that and celebrate and it should be the same on the other side. Right. You know? It's interesting. Someone shared with me, uh, you know, the just like the baby is in the womb, mm-hmm. there's this thin layer of skin and the stomach, and this whole new world is outside of the womb, but the baby doesn't know about it. Mm-hmm. And someone shared with me that that's like the spirit realm mm-hmm. is like a thin layer, mm-hmm. and it's like there's this whole other world on the other side of it, but we just can't see it, mm-hmm. and we don't know what it's like. Like feeling into that, like this this baby's new experience has to die to be born again. Mm-hmm. And so as we die, we're born into something greater. Mm-hmm. It's just a transition of energy mm-hmm. and realms. There's a great book called The Smell of Dust on Rain. Have you heard of it? It's about mm-hmm. it's about grief. Yeah. And there's stories in there of of um like celebrating death and in our society and culture, it's like, you know, you go to a funeral and it's all somber and you know, people are like like really sad and there's nothing wrong with the sadness and the grief but it's being able to celebrate the grief and like the energy right like and as i've connected with with my own grief and been able to access the depth of it and feel it it's such a beautiful emotion yeah and it's such a gift yeah and being able to find places that you feel safe enough to like feel it and then even within yourself like accessing it is that's the great work. And the people that I see in my life that, you know, because everybody's got the, the intellectual like words, right. like the spiritual language, right. being right. able to talk through stuff. Yeah. But the real special individuals that I've connected with are the ones that know how to grieve. Yeah. Hands down. Yeah. And they go, they go in, they feel what they feel their emotions fully. Right. And when you can do that, then then you can access like the deeper knowings of who you are and it's not just this head game so true yeah so tell me about tell me about the tell me about the den so the den was um i wasn't really sure what i was you know what i was going to do with the information that i had received you know and the experiences that i had gone through i didn't know how that was gonna live you know, in, in the world, you know, um, and how I was going to apply whatever it was. And so kind of naturally for me, I think the lines finally blurred that there was no, you know, separation between, you know, my spiritual life and, you know, my family or my friends or my work life or, you know, that it was finally, it was all one thing. And so the only way to really express that fully to me was you know not the only way it was like well then if i can build something that like honors that 
you know, we spend so much time at work and we, you know, and so to me it was not to get away from my labor because I tried that too. Like, I don't think I, like there was a period of time where like, you know, there was no labor going on, you know, because the work was like doing all the other, all the other explorations that we talked about. And like, so then it was going to, you know, then I knew I needed labor back and to support and like, you know, I thought of, there was a lot of different, like, you know, cracks, shots at the hoop, you know, where I was kind of trying to feel it out where I was like, oh, is it a podcast, right? Like all the common things were like, in today's world, we're influenced by that, you know, mm-hmm. is it a book? Is it, you know, is it retreats? Is it, you know, and it was yes to all of that stuff, but it was just a fulfilled life where like, you know, you're just acting out you know, this feeling and, and the aversion really that I, that I'm, that I still have a relationship with in full honesty is, is, uh, the, the way that everything that we just described, the depth of the heart and the experience and the, you know, the feeling of, of knowing in the business environment. I think a lot of people struggle with that and no one really tells you before, you know, what we just described in the experiences that we've had, did not make us different people. We became who we were, who we always more, were. More us. And I am positive of that, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 so to do anything that pulls you away from center, you know, is is clearly just a you know a good keen awareness. And for me, that was like the traditional business world. I don't host. I don't hold like, you know. It's not like a sign of a healthy soul to like have anguish or anger towards like anything else. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't hold that. I don't have it, but it doesn't feel familiar to me. It doesn't feel safe. It, you know, it doesn't feel comfortable. It doesn't feel, doesn't feel good. And I, and it's okay, you know, but like, you know, that traditional business environment was, became like very adverse to me. And so the den ritual was a way of like being that, that space that anybody could access at any point because it's, you know, at the intersection, you know, down from their house mm-hmm. and it's in these bu- busy cities where they don't get to sit in this beautiful room that you've curated, you know, with, with that, you know, picture on the other side of the, you know, the wall. And like, and so that was the den was just like, Oh, it's not a retreat because we can only retreat so often. And what happens when you come home? You know, mm. and I remember that feeling, you know, all the, you know, the, the times where I had that experience or had that moment and then you come back to your everyday life and, you know, it's no different than like when you go to Italy or, you know, if you like see a different culture, like, well, I'm going to bring that back. Yeah. It's like, good try. You yeah. Know, like, Sorry, we don't take naps here. You know, I'm like, oh, really? Eventually I learned I will. That, Yeah. I eventually learned that I could do it. <laughs> uh, but like, yes. And so that was it. That was the den, you know, and it was honoring all the things and honoring, you know, all the parts of our body and all the parts of our mind and all the parts of our soul and like having that be a place that we share. And yeah. I'm excited for it, man. Yeah, thank you. So where, where are you at in the actual structures? So the den is a, is a physical location. The first one's gonna be here in Austin. First one will be here in Austin, yeah. And it is it's 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 like a hybrid like human optimization type place with yes. like some some areas for workshops there's going to be some some medical yes like yeah. psychiatry or is it like ketamine therapy what what is the just 
you know, spaces for healing to occur. spaces for healing to occur, yeah. and not a lot of, you know, at, at its core, you know, not a lot of boundaries, mm. you know, in its practice, you know, d- deep, mm. and not surface, you know. Yes, there'll be a cold tub there. Yes, there'll be a sauna, but more community focus. Like yeah, the it'll be outside like in the backyard, yeah. you know, and of t- in in a neighborhood part of town and you know i hope that we feel like this when we sit there and you know and um but yeah just you know a way to look at health you know i struggle still with i think i'm pretty certain you know i'm I'm still doing the testing on myself because i went so natural you know that i didn't feel right you know i didn't even i didn't necessarily want to pull all the medical levers first because I was in this natural feeling and and then you know to get in right relationship with all of the things in your life you know be in right relationship with that medicine that may help you or you know and so just simple things like for me like seeing a doctor was not like that common mm-hmm. and I don't think I'm that indifferent from a lot of other you know men and women like some aversion to the doctor because it feels unnatural but if like in our space you can find out pretty much everything you would need to know except if you need surgery or major yeah, medical attention. Break an arm or something right. you go to the hospital. But, but everything else would be there. Yeah. You know, your blood work, your your functional medicine. You know that's amazing. I remember when I, I have this like psoriasis on my nails and I you know, and I was twenty eight, I want it hurt and I wanted it to go away. I thought it was even for football and it ended up being, you know, something that I could take a shot in my thigh and it would go away. You know. But in functional medicine, we would say, where is that coming from? Yeah. You know, it's only a couple of different places. Not treating the symptoms. It's either the coming from here or it's coming from here. Yeah. And like, you know, and that to me is our space will represent that. And like the great healers, the great teachers, just the great people would want to want to be there. You know, and it's a, it's a utopian goal. Mm. But like, you know, the same way we feel it at Sun Life you know, with Khalil or whatever, we're like, there's going to be some life there, isn't there? There'll be, there'll, yes, there'll be some version of that. Some version. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps, maybe. No, I think, I think that is, it's the most important element of the space is that food and beverage is brought in at the threshold because not everyone's going to want to go to the back, you know, not everyone's going to want to, you know, not everyone will be ready. And so you sit at the threshold and you share food and, you know, buy things from the marketplace and, you know, spiritual books on the wall and, you know, things that, you know, others have like brought to the table and the gift for people who don't want anything, you know, like, and, and that, that space hopefully brings it alive and it's, you don't need to be a member. You don't have to pay money, you know, you can just be there. And then if there's more, then you say, well, what's back there and what's over here, you know, and, and really for like, one of the like corny like coined like thoughts that always ran through my head was like something that felt like the grasshopper to the guru and like when you get exposed to somebody that you know maybe didn't walk the same like path that you did and they're in a totally different place but then you can like you know almost just suggest like hey you want to come by for a smoothie you know you want to come by for a tea and let it naturally just occur that they might go further into the space, you know. Mm, I love it. It's nice to have a physical location too. Right. I long for it. Because, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for it too because I think there's a natural, like, 
people are getting tired of online stuff and Zoom calls and like even some of the stuff I'm doing. I'm like, I want to be in person with people. People want to be in person with you. Yeah. You know, that feeling that we described when we like rolled up that first time when we met each other, like that. Can't get that. Can't get that, right. We could take some breaths together and it's powerful, right. but then it's like, even like the structure of like an hour call, it's like everybody logs in and we do the thing and everybody goes back. It's, it's lax. The, I'm thankful the for it. Yeah. But it's just a tool, right? Yeah. And like even with building community and building spaces and doing retreats, like the online was meant to be a tool to keep help support people's connections ongoing, but it's not meant to be the place that is where it's built. Yes. You know, like for you guys, you guys build this physical location and you guys could have potentially an online community or a group that stay connected on a chat basis or Zoom calls, but it's just to stay connected from the experiences we've got to share together in person. Yes. So what's the timeline for? So hopefully um, by March 1. March 1. Yeah, that would be a beautiful time. You know, it's a great time here in Austin and What's left? You guys got to build out, Spring. get the permits. Like, yeah, we're just the kind of infrastructure is ready to go. But it's the physical yeah, building. Two, two really cool houses that are kind of connected by a breezeway with a lot of outside space, and um, you know, on a beautiful street. And there's a yoga studio down the block, and you know, and there's spas, and it's a cool little part of town in Clarksville. There, it's uh, Oakland and and uh, Fifth. Is there, any, is there anything like online, any website that the listeners can check out yet? No. There's a, we're, we have, you know, we have like an Instagram account. And, uh, is it at the Den Ritual? It's coming soon. Yes. Cool. Yeah, at the Den Ritual. Um, and um, I'm a little conscious of like really wanting the space to like define what it is as, as people come. And so, you know, I had you know, I probably won't make that kind of social media push. Big yeah. brands. Yeah. You want the brand to, to yeah. evolve into what it wants to be instead of yeah. trying to decide. I hope so, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, hope we can, yeah. I love that. It's like when, when new new people are getting into business, they, they think they, they spend so much time on trying to find the name for their business. Right. It's like the name will reveal itself. Just start building the business. Right. You know, if right. Like someone's like, hey, this is a good name, and then they start right. building a brand or like a logo, and I'm like, right. Have you done anything else yet? Because that right. should be like step five. It's so true. It's like when we name our kids, you know? It's yeah. like, but they mean something. And we know that there's like this association mm. with the word, you know? And we put a lot of importance in it, you know? And it can, it can be very telling, you know, to like, but only to the person that doesn't know what it is, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, I love it. You know? Anything else as we as we close up? Anything else you want to, uh, to oh. share that you're working on or anything like that? No, I just you know, really honor this sacred time and the space that you hold. And you know, it was an embodiment of all of the things that we would later go on to say. And the feelings that we searched for were present in that moment where you led. And all of the books and all of the social wellness clubs and the medicine and love and family and kids, like, could be brought right down to the breath, could be right down to the presence, the immediate deep honor, presence of all the, like, all of the things. 
And I think, you know, one thing that I want to give people permission to, to continue to do is, you know, especially for all of us, yes, for, 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 for the world, but also for some of us like here in the, like the Austin community, um, it, it's happening all over. There's these beautiful pockets that had such energy and growth. And, and then there becomes a little bit of like imposter syndrome and people are scared. To, you know, you gave me permission today. You gave me permission to honor the depth. And, and sometimes we talk in elevated language because you're paying respect. You're living in this deep honor and, and prayer and respect through your word and like be impeccable, the be impeccable with your word moment. And so that's okay to sound corny sometimes and to talk about, you know, it, it's become frowned upon by some of the people who led, led the journey that like, oh yeah, did you hear them over there talking about their journey with their journal? You know, do you see, you know, it, it's, there's an ego that has come along with it, or I don't even know, I don't even want to say ego. It's just like, it's, it's okay to keep speaking about it and to keep get being serious, you know, because that will lead to like, just like so much joy and, and joy and fun. And it's not all hard work, mm. but like nobody really told me that all of the, the, the brightness and the joy was going to lead to such pain. And, you know, you just feel everything 10 times more. Mm. And so here we are, you know, and thank you for letting me feel 10 times more right now. Mm-hmm. And just, I love you, brother. Thank you. Yeah, love you too, yeah. man. Appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Ah, thank <laughs> you, dude. I really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I'm stoked to, to be on this journey as, as, as I like to say quite a bit, is we're just getting started. Yeah. And what a journey that we get to go on. And yeah. really excited to check out the space and support that as it comes online. Maybe we can get my listeners uh, like a day pass or something yeah. to come check it out when it's, when it's live. I guess yeah. that's quite a ways away. Do you that's think you could lead us and uh, close the Close, close the, the space? Yeah. With a few breaths? Yeah. Cool, man. Oh, I love it. Yeah, thank you all. I just I always like to start with gratitude, end with gratitude. Grateful for everybody that's taken some time to watch this or listen to this. Deeply grateful for Gino and his his, his vulnerability to show up and share his story and some of his experiences. Grateful for his heart and his energy. That radiates in such beautiful ways. Grateful for this opportunity to share my voice, to be seen, to be heard, to lead all things that have lived in my shadow for so long. Thank you to everyone that listened again. Really appreciate you taking time to connect with the the frequencies that were shared here today. Bringing that gratitude into your heart, whatever you are grateful for, wherever you're listening to this, watching this. Allow that thing to expand into your being. 
as we close this space with a few breaths, starting with a deep breath into the nose, and release. Again, deep breath in, and release. One more, and let it go. Thank you all. Thank you, Gina. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you, brother. If this podcast, feel free to share it with anyone you think might resonate with it. Don't forget to subscribe. I'm really grateful for uh, the community of people that are connecting and like I told Gina, we're just getting started. It's going to be a fun journey. Let's go on it together. Mm-hmm. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you, brother. Peace. Peace.